If it hadn't have been for that life-changing prayer meeting in February 1988, there would be no Grace Baptist Church of Surrey today. So yes, God answers prayer. Yes, the Messiah Jesus gives victory. Open your Bible, please, to Isaiah chapter 9. That's the passage we read just a few moments ago. Isaiah chapter 9. <clears throat> Last Sunday, we asked you the question, Who is Jesus Christ? And there's actually more than one answer to that question. Last week, we learned that Jesus Christ is none other than the Almighty Creator God. Folks, never forget, the Jehovah of the Old Testament and the Jesus of the New Testament are the same. But the answer to the question, who is Jesus Christ, continues today with yet another answer. Jesus Christ is also the promised Messiah. Now in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, we have a prophecy of this coming Messiah. And it's a familiar verse, at least verse 6 is to many of us. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. This is speaking of the Lord Jesus. And it goes on and talks about the titles that he, he's given. Called Wonderful Counselor, and the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You know, only God himself could fulfill this description. The word Messiah comes from a Hebrew word, um, Messiah. And it means the anointed one. That's what it means. In other words, it's referring to the anointed one from God who came to rescue us and to deliver and help us. In the New Testament, we have another word, and that's the word Christ. And it comes from the Greek word Christos. And it means the very same thing as the Hebrew word. It means the anointed one. In John chapter 1, verse 42, it says, We have found the Messiah's which is being interpreted the Christ. So you see Messiah and Christ. Uh, one is Hebrew, one is Greek, but they mean the same thing. You might wonder, well, why do we have two different words? Why do we need two? Why not just one word only? And I, I believe that the answer can be understood best by the fact that Jesus is the promised anointed one from God for both the Jews and the non-Jews. In other words, for all the world, for all people everywhere. Today we are going to learn that Jesus is the promised Messiah and why that is important in our lives. We're going to learn that today. So first, let's have a word of prayer together. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would open the eyes of our understanding and enlighten us to this important truth about the Lord Jesus. For some people, he's nothing more than a swear word. That's the only time they ever mention or think of his wonderful name is when they want a curse. For many of us, though, the name of Jesus is precious. It's the sweetest name. And we ask you, please, Lord, in Jesus' name, to teach us today about who Jesus is. And again, we pray that if there be one in attendance here today or perhaps watching online who has not yet understood their personal need of a personal Savior, a personal Messiah, that today would be that day. And they would open their heart and receive Christ into their heart as Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, 
we said a moment ago that uh, this word Messiah means the anointed one from God who will come and deliver us and rescue us. Now, someone might wonder, well, that's all fine, but I don't know. Do I need rescuing? Rescue me from what? What do I need rescuing from? Well, I think the answer goes back to the Garden of Eden. And I'd like to ask you to turn to the book of Genesis now, chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. That's an easy book to find. Genesis chapter 3. Here we have the day in that Garden of Eden when Satan came as a serpent to Eve. And uh, we pick up the story in verse 6. And when the woman, that's Eve, saw that the tree, by the way, that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the one that weren't supposed to eat, right? It, isn't it funny? You tell someone not to do something and the very first thing they want to do is do it. I'm not a farmer, but I, I understand that cows cannot learn from the mistakes of other cows. Farmers put up electric fences and a cow will go and bump into it and get a shock. And the other cows will be standing there watching this cow and all the other cows have to do the same thing. They all have to go and lean into the same fence and get shocked. Why can't we learn from the mistakes of others? So the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. He was standing right there. And he did eat. So that was when they committed the first sin. So verse 11, we find God coming after them. And he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? This is God speaking. Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Of course, the answer was, yeah, they, they are guilty. And verse number 15. And we have God saying, I will put enmity... The word enmity means similar as an enemy. An enemy. I'll put enmity between thee and the woman. Now, the thee, who's the thee? He's talking to the serpent. The devil got inside the serpent. And he says, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. Now, that you can underline that in your Bible. Her seed, that's a reference to Jesus Christ. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his head heal. Now I'll explain that in a moment. But at this point, death and destruction now entered the world because of Adam's sin. Adam committed the sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Adam and all of his future descendants were now separated from God and in peril of eternal hell. And this is the answer as to why God promised to send an anointed one, the Messiah. Now look please again at verse 15. This is the very first promise of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. This is it right here, right in the very same day, the same hour that Adam and Eve sinned. God provided a Savior. 
And if you look at it again, God said, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. Now, you all know this, that Jesus was born of a virgin. Mary was virgin still when Jesus was born. She knew no earthly man. This was a work of God. It says her seed. Women don't have seed. It's the men. They have the seed. This is definitely speaking of the virgin birth of the coming promised Messiah. And so now watch. It says here, It shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. And so Satan, in form of the serpent, uh, it says, thou shalt bruise his heel. That would be a smaller wound, wouldn't it? But before that, it shall bruise thy head. That means Messiah would bruise the serpent's head. That's a deadly blow. So we have a smaller blow and a very deadly blow. Satan would bruise Messiah's heel. That's what happened when he died on the cross. But when Jesus rose again, that's when Jesus, the Messiah, bruised the serpent's head. And the, the chains of, of, of death and hell and sin were broken. The power of Satan was broken. Now, some people may ask the question, if Jesus Christ was the promised Messiah, then why, oh, why did he wait so long before he came to earth to die uh, on the cross? What happened to all those people before Jesus died? Jesus came 2,000 years ago, but prior to that, thousands of years prior to that, what happened to all those people? There may be, who knows, billions of people that lived and died. What happened to them? Did they all go to hell? Did they have to pay for their own sin? Well, that's a good question. Uh, because there are a lot of good people mentioned in the Old Testament. A lot of them. And what happened to them? These are people who loved God, believed in Him. They lived their lives for God. So what happens now if the Messiah hasn't yet come and paid for their sin? What happens to these people? Do they all just die and go straight to hell? And the short answer is no. I'm not going to bore you with all the theology, but to oversimplify things, they died and went to heaven. Not all the people, but the people who loved God. A lot of people don't love God. You know that. That's sad. Uh, how could they go to heaven? How could they possibly go to heaven if Messiah, Jesus Christ, had not yet died for their sins on the cross? The penalty has not yet been paid. How could these people possibly go to heaven? Someone might ask, does this mean the animal sacrifices that they did in the Old Testament. Did those animal sacrifices pay for their sins so they could go to heaven? There are some people who believe that in the New Testament times, that would include today, let's, let's say, but from the time Jesus rose from the grave, died and rose from the grave onward till today, the way we get to heaven is by repentance and faith in Jesus. And these same people will believe that in the Old Testament, the way they got to heaven was by doing animal sacrifices. And the answer to this is no. No, it is absolutely not true. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, it says, It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats and of goats should take away sins. It is not possible. Those animal sacrifices, they were done in obedience to God. God told them to start doing it. Why? Well, there's a few reasons, but one of the main reasons is that 
the shedding of the blood, pictured the coming of the Lamb of God. And so in the Old Testament, Jesus hadn't yet come. The Messiah had not yet come and died for the sins. He was going to come and die and do something we couldn't do. We cannot atone for our own sin. We can't do it. We are dead and separated from God by sin. We are not able to atone for our own sins. Someone has to help us. And that someone is God. And he came and he died on the cross and made a payment available that can be applied to any man or woman's account. Any man, woman, or young person needn't go to hell. They can go to heaven by the free gift of salvation offered through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But what happened here in the Old Testament to these uh, people who did animal sacrifices, they loved God? Well, the short answer is they, they went to heaven. Say, how is that possible? It's because of the promises of God. Now, if a human being makes you a promise, how sure is that? You might say, well, it depends on the human being. If my, my best loved one in the whole world made me a promise, then I'm, I'm pretty sure I could, I could risk my life on that promise. But if a stranger made me a promise, I don't know if I could believe him. Well, how about if God Almighty were to make you a promise? How sure would that promise be? And the promise of the Messiah coming and dying for our sins on the cross was as sure as sure can be. Nothing was going to change that. And so that means this. In the Old Testament, they looked forward to a coming Messiah. They looked forward. He hadn't come yet, but they looked forward to a coming Messiah and they placed their faith in Him. Today, why, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus has come and gone. It's in the past. It's history for us. We look back in time and we place our faith in a Messiah who has come and died and gone back to heaven for us. So, you see, no matter where you are in earth's history, if you were living prior to when Jesus came, you would look forward to the coming Messiah. Here, we look backwards to a Messiah who came. Maybe it's happened to you where someone has uh, bought something from you but didn't have the money, and they said, I'll give you the money tomorrow, or I'll give it to you next week. And you knew this person. And you said, sure, no problem. Take your time. And sure enough, come Tuesday or whatever, they came and here's the money. Because their word was their bond. These days, it doesn't matter much. A lot of people, they shake hands, they'll sign, but they don't really mean it and they break promises. There used to be a time and an age, I think, in society where when we said we would do something, we would do it. The Lord Jesus instructed us and told us to let our yea be yea and our nay be nay. Stand by your word. It's very important. If you know Christ as your Savior, it is very important that you be an honest, trustworthy man or woman. That people can believe you when you say you will do this or you won't do that. Your word should be your bond. And we get that from the teachings in the Bible. And God wrote the Bible. And here the God of the Bible made the promise of the coming Messiah. Do you see how it works now? In the Old Testament, no one was saved by the blood of bulls and goats, but they were saved by placing their faith in a coming Messiah. Just as we are saved by placing our faith in a Messiah who's already come for us.
And by the way, who is coming again one day. Very important. Now, last Sunday, we pointed out that God asked Abraham to go and sacrifice his son Isaac. Do you remember this story? Yes? Nod your head if you remember it. Okay, see a few nods there. All right, that's good. Well, we saw that God stopped him at the last minute, right? Just as he was about to sacrifice, God stopped him and says, no, I just wanted to see if you were willing. And then God provided a male sheep to be sacrificed instead. And it was here at this point that Abraham was able to look into the future. God pulled the curtain of time back. Abraham looked into the future and he saw Jesus Christ dying for our sins on the cross. And Jesus himself in John chapter 8 said these words, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. And so who is Jesus Christ? He is the almighty creator God, but he is also the promised Messiah come to save us from the awful consequences of sin. Now it's interesting that it was the prophet Daniel, the Old Testament prophet. He's the only Old Testament prophet who actually uses the term Messiah. And I want to show you that if you would now turn to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 9. Let's see, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Where are you, Daniel? There we are. Uh, Daniel chapter number 9 and verse 25 and 26. Isaiah, I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 9 verses 25, 26. Follow along as I read. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, by the way, that was when the Jews were in captivity and he's talking about, this is a prophecy of when Jerusalem would be rebuilt back in the Old Testament because it was destroyed. Unto the Messiah, there he is right there. Unto the Messiah, so from <coughs> the time the temple would be rebuilt until the time Jesus would come, um, Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. Now that's a prophetic way Basically of, of saying 483 years, something like that. The street will be built again and the wall even in troublous times. So you see, they nailed it down. The prophets nailed it down to the exact time when Jesus would come. Verse 26, and after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. You see that? Cut off. That's when Jesus died on the cross. He was cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, talking here about tribulation days yet to come. So this is a very, very important prophecy. Jesus died for our sins on the cross right here, and he's called the Messiah. But you know something? The years that Jesus was on earth, it was only about 33 years. It was not the only time that Jesus was on earth. Not at all. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, actually visited the earth many times before he was born of the virgin in Bethlehem. Theologians who study these things, they write and they tell us that uh, these are, they call them theophanies. Theophanies, which is a fancy word and it literally means the appearance of God to man. God 
is appearing in sort of human form to man. That's a theophany. See, how many times did Jesus do a theophany? How many times did Jesus come to earth before he was born in Bethlehem? Theologians estimate it could be as many as 50 times. 50 times found in the scriptures. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to show you all 50. I want to show you one. I want to show you one time when Jesus Christ made a visit to earth. The pre-incarnate. Incarnate means like in the flesh. And so before he came in the flesh, born of a virgin in Bethlehem, one of his theophanies is recorded in the book of Genesis. I'd like you to go back to Genesis chapter 32. And I want to show you this one. There are many of them, but I want you to see this one. Genesis 32. This is a story of when um, Jacob was on his way back to the promised land. He had left because um, he had a falling out with his brother Esau. Uh, Jacob is the one who they say stole Esau's birthright and blessing. However, uh, Esau sold his birthright. Remember for a mess of pottage? That happened years and years and years before this. And now their father wanted to bless Esau. Jacob got in there and took the blessing. Esau was ready to kill his brother. So Jacob takes off to um, the land of his mother to um, find a wife there and get established. 20 years later, he's coming back. And he hears that Esau is coming out to meet him with 400 men. So he's scared. He's scared he's going to die. And Esau is going to come and kill all his family members and everything. So Genesis 32. Look please at verse 24. It says, And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. This is the pre-incarnate Christ. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. Now this is the man touching the hollow of Jacob's thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint and he, as he wrestled with him. And he said, this is the, the man, said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he, that's Jacob, said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he, that's the man, said unto him, what is thy name? And he, that's Jacob, said, Jacob. And he, that's the man, said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince thou hast, hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he says, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Here's a story of when Jesus Christ wrestled with Jacob. And from this story, we learn this one important truth. Jesus gives victories. If you're going to come away with any truth, this is the one to come away with. Jesus gives victories. Now at this point in Jacob's life, Jacob was left alone. He was spending the night alone before meeting his estranged brother. And I kind of think that he was trying to pray and reach out to God. Now in verse 24, it says, A man wrestled with him unto the breaking of the day. 
In verse 25, after many long hours of struggle, the man touched the socket of Jacob's thigh, or his hip there, whatever, instantly crippling him. So now he's in a lot of pain and he can't stand on both legs like he did before. And yet still Jacob refuses to let up. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't let go even though he's in much pain. And he cries out, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And the man said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. Now, did Jacob know that this heavenly visitor was Jesus Christ? Well, Jacob would not have known Jesus by those titles, but he would have known that this was God because he said it, didn't he? He said, I have seen God and my life is preserved. And so Jacob knew that this man was none other than God himself. Folks, this is why Jacob would not quit his struggle. This is why he wouldn't give up because he knew he was in the presence of God and he would not let go until he had a blessing. We assume that Jacob was asking God for protection from his brother Esau because it seemed like Esau was going to come and kill him and his family. And so Jacob was motivated. He was motivated to struggle in prayer. Have you ever been motivated to really struggle in prayer because it's when you and I are really motivated to pray that's when we're willing to put in the time necessary and if need be to spend all night in prayer over something in order to see victory in the early years of my pastoral ministry I graduated Bible college, got in the ministry in 1981, and in those early years, I became increasingly frustrated with the lack of Holy Spirit power in my ministry. It just, after a number of years, it seemed to me that everything was dependent upon me and not upon God. And that, that frustrated me, it bothered me, and that frustration turned into a burden, and it, it hurt that, front, that burden turned into a broken heart. And my heart became broken. That the ministry that I had started and was pastoring was more a work of me than it was a work of God. Because I did not see the power of God like I thought I needed to see. As I read the Bible and I saw accounts of the power of God, as I read the history of other great men of God and I could see the power of God in their ministries. And then I looked in the mirror I says, where's the power of God? Maybe you know uh, when Elisha came back from seeing Elijah take off to heaven. And Eli Elisha said, where is the God of Elijah? Where is the God of Elijah? He was saying, where is this God of great power? And that's kind of how I felt. And I was crying out to God, where is the God of Elijah? And so finally in February of 1988, I went alone to the church and I was, I was going to have it out with God. I was going to go into a prayer meeting and I was prepared to stay there for the rest of my life. And I prayed, I cried out to God. I, no one was there in the church with me. I crawled across the floor. I was on my face crying out to God from four in the afternoon till 10 o'clock at night. 
And to make a long story short, I felt God heard me. I felt he heard my prayer, my cry, and that God was going to answer my prayer. And again, not going into any details, but my life and my ministry started to change the very next day. Um, Over the years that followed, I became uh, different. I I changed in uh, convictions and in prayer. And um, I started seeing more of God's power show up in my life. The scriptures started opening themselves up to me more. And, you know, if it wasn't for that life-changing prayer meeting back in February 1988, folks, I wouldn't be standing here before you today. I probably would have fallen out of the ministry. If it hadn't have been for that life-changing prayer meeting in February 1988, there would be no Grace Baptist Church of Surrey today. So yes, God answers prayer. Yes, the Messiah Jesus gives victory. Jesus gives victory. That's what I want you to learn from this pre-incarnate visit of Jesus with Jacob. Jesus Christ gives victory. Who is Jesus Christ? Well, last week we learned, number one, He is Almighty God. Today we've learned He is the promised Messiah come to rescue us from sin and the power of sin. Do you have a bad habit you wish you could break? Jesus Christ can break that bad habit. Jacob struggled all night with this same Jesus Christ. Why did he do it? Because Jacob knew that Jesus gives victory to those who will pray and trust the Lord. Now my question for you today is, are you in need of a victory? Is there some area of your life where you're starting to cry out to God for victory? Well, I have good news for you, my friend. You can get that victory. It may require uh, a big, long prayer meeting for you. It may require something else. But you need to get in close with Jesus Christ and struggle and pray. You know, the devil doesn't want you to enter into a close relationship with Jesus. And that's why there's a struggle. You'll be tempted to quit and give up. That's the devil trying to tempt you to quit and give up. Move away from Jesus. But for the one who will say, no, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. You can be sure of an answer prayer. Jesus gives victories. It's possible that you may be here today and you've never met the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. You know, that was my case back when I was a teenager. I had a young friend from high school tell me once that Jesus Christ was his best friend. And I smiled at him and I thought to myself, are you stupid? Are you a dummy? Are you stupid? How can you be friends with someone who's dead for 2,000 years? You, You can't even be friends with someone who's dead a year ago. How can you be friends with someone who's dead 2,000 years ago? And I thought, boy, you're either a dummy or you're a liar. You're deceived or something. But it wasn't more than two years later when I myself started to realize, yes, I could meet Jesus Christ. You mean physically? No, I don't mean physically. You don't always have to be physically in front of someone to meet them. 
Did you know you could meet someone through letters or through emails alone? They may live on the other side of the world. In this life, you may never get a chance to physically meet them, but you can meet them through your letters and through emails. Did you know that? Of course you knew that. Well, you can meet Jesus Christ in a powerful, real way. That's what happened to me on April the 6th, 1975. I finally said, Lord Jesus, I am the sinner you died for. Won't you please forgive me my sins and come into my heart now, not tomorrow, now, and be my Savior. And the good news is that Jesus was waiting. He was waiting for, to hear those words. And he came into my heart on April the 6th, 1975. It's going to be 48 years in a few months. He's never left me nor forsaken me. And I'll tell you, it's only gotten better. Year after year, it only gets better. If I had a thousand lives, I'd give every one of them to Jesus. My only regret in life is that I did not come to know Jesus sooner. I wish I could have come to know Jesus when I was just a little boy, rather than go through the tough teenage years and do all those lousy things that I did, all those creepy things, have those scars on my, my soul. I wish I could have come to know Jesus sooner. Mom and Dad, that's why it's so important that you pray every day and you work carefully with your children to bring them to a point of understanding their need for Jesus Christ in their heart. But if you're here today and you've never yet received Christ, you have that opportunity. Would you bow your head in prayer with me now? We're going to go to prayer. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.